from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And good morning. It is 9 o'clock in Arizona and on the West Coast, where our guest is today, 12 o'clock noon on the East Coast. Hope everybody's enjoying your lunch out there. Uh, beautiful weather here in the Southwest, at least in Arizona. Uh, I think we're going to hit about 85 today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, therefore, uh, I say it once and warn you, don't come. Because it's going to get awfully hot. It's going to get awfully hot pretty soon. We don't want too many people here. You're going to swelter. So uh, I always give you that little that little warning that if you're thinking about coming to 85, come a little bit later. Come three months from now, it's going to be 185. Uh, not quite. But nonetheless, this is the Boomer the Babe Show, and it is Wednesday, uh, the 26th, 2013. And we are broadcasting from our studios in Sun City, Arizona. We have a guest with us today. His name is Mr. Bruce Salem. He's author of A Dad's Point of View and a couple of other books that he's going to mention. And uh, welcome to the Boomer the Babe Show. Bruce, how are My you My pleasure. And i got to say we're uh, 10 degrees uh, cooler than you, a beautiful 75 here in Calabasas, California. Hey, wonderful, wonderful. Well, everywhere on the, west, on the western side of the country seems to be having good weather anyhow, if nothing else. Uh, so that's uh, that's always that's always nice to be able to walk out and enjoy the enjoy the day. Uh, Bruce, I want to get have you on the show for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you're very prolific in what you do, and we're going to talk about your dad chat, uh, your tweet chat uh, as we go along. Uh, but I'm I was very interested when I first found out about you and what you do with regard to the fact that uh, you look at things from a father's point of view, which is definitely different than a mother's point of view. And uh, you're all about, at one point, you've been all about, and probably still are at some level, all about giving dads credit for what they do in the raising of children. Is that a correct statement? Uh, Yes. It's also recognizing that dads and moms both have good things to bring to parenting, but recognizing the differences and the value of what each gender represents. And in fact, I've started a new blog series called Men vs. Women, in which I talk about all sorts of issues uh, about just how men and women view things differently, approach things differently. And the object isn't, in my opinion, for dads and moms or men and women to be the same. The object is to recognize our differences and learn from them. So I think we complement each other. Uh, the way my wife may choose to do something, I may not even think of that, but sometimes it's going to be right on and vice versa with things I do that she won't think of. So that's a lot of what I uh, like to do now. When I first began, there was I felt there was a lot more bias against dads and towards moms. I think that playing field is leveling a bit, though dads still get, I think, underserved in media and popular culture. Uh, is is this uh, at some level uh, uh, the Mars and Venus book uh, with regard to points of view and men are from Mars, women are from Venus? Absolutely. It is absolutely. I, I co- totally subscribe. Uh, got a blanky on his name, but uh, uh, Greg. Uh, uh, his last name is Gray. I forgot the first one. Uh, I thought those books were brilliant, particularly the first one. Uh, and I like to write similar things, only I take great pride in being unpolitically correct. Uh, and I think political correctness undermines our relationships, undermines our society politically, and undermines our parenting ability. Political correctness, forgive me, is BS. And uh, what I write about when I talk about men and women is what I believe is just the truth. It may not be politically correct, and occasionally, although only occasionally do I get some blowback when I write some of the things I write, but most of the time, and I would subscribe that this applies more to parents than single people, if you're married and you have kids, you pretty quickly learn, especially if you have a boy and a girl, that they're different. And that's not a better or worse, just a different. And so I like to kind of be a little provocative, especially in that blog series called Men vs. Women. Uh, I keep on wanting to get like a women's studies professor to come on and blast me or some ardent feminist to get on and take me on because that would just be fun. Uh, But so far I haven't gotten too much blowback. I'm I'm still waiting for it. Uh, 
Give me an example of some of the uh, politically incorrect things that uh, that you've made reference to. Well, let's take uh, topics like stress. Uh, what do men do when they are under stress? Men will, and, and by the way, I want to be very clear, and I say this in all the columns that I write uh, on the in the men versus women. I make generalities, and of course there are exceptions. So when I make a generality, it's because it's a generality. And I, I don't want someone to say, well, I know someone who doesn't do that. Of course. But a generality has value because of its uh, applicability so often, not 100%. So let's take stress. How does a man handle – oh, but my two favorite ones, stress and money. We'll talk about those. First, let's talk stress. So a guy's stressed, what does he do? He doesn't go call up a guy friend and go, boy, I'm really feeling stressed out. I'm really worried. Uh, you know, money's bothering me or my wife or my job, whatever. He'll keep it inside. He'll go out and whack some balls on a golf course or go drink with somebody. He's not telling anybody what's really bothering him or go to his man cave and – Watch some television, sports, or do something that is a physically aggressive thing like lifting weights or just going to a gym and punching a punching bag. What will women do? Women will talk to other women. They'll get together with their girlfriends and they'll chat. Or maybe they'll go shopping to relieve the stress. So those are generalities that I think are largely true, not a better or worse Although in this case, I would actually say that men not talking out their problems to other men is not a good thing. And women talking their stuff out with other women is a good thing. So that's a case where I think the men could learn from the women. Now let's talk money. I think men, more often than not, are a tad bit more practical when it comes to money. My wife, for instance, she loves designer handbags. So we've had occasional arguments over spending what I think is an absurd amount of money for a Louis Vuitton plastic handbag. They're made of plastic. They have leather <laughs> handles, and they cost absurd amounts of money. And I go, honey, you can use my Trader Joe's plastic bag. It's just as good. And, of course, she gives me a dirty look. Uh, and then I go, well, why not buy a knockoff? Who knows the difference? And she'll say, well, I know the difference. Well, I think that's a case where, you know, let's talk about women in shoes, the designer shoes that they can't even walk in, but they have to have a pair of Jimmy shoes. Uh, so it, when it comes to shopping, I think men tend to be a little bit more price conscious, uh, much less designer uh, interested, except for certain metro males or metrosexuals or whatever they, you know, the current term is. Um, so that's another example of differences. And in this case, I think the women could learn a little bit from us about you know, the practicality of, of how we spend. And then there's all the issues of saving money. And again, men and women, I think, approach things differently. Uh, and so that's, that's what I tend to focus on in the series. I'm, I'm watching your uh, – I'm on your website, and you've got the quotes by Bruce that scroll across the screen. Uh, and I'm looking at one here that says, there are no perfect friends. Uh, I, as I'm watching these scroll across, I'm thinking uh, to myself now for this program today, it might be a, an interesting point to uh, kind of take some of these quotes that you've put on your website and, and interpret them for our our readers. Uh, a positive attitude is like a magnet. Uh, that's, that, that seems to be self-explanatory, but uh, uh, give, give us some information about uh, how you came to that quote and, uh, and, and what is your evidence of that. Okay, thank you. thank you for noticing that. I'm very actually uh, pro prideful of that particular feature on the website, and uh, you're one of the first people that's ever commented on it, so I, I'm really grateful and I appreciate that. Uh, who wants to be around someone that complains? Who wants to be around someone that whines all the time? A positive attitude is addictive, it's uh, attractive, and it will make you feel better. And my thing is basically if you're in a bad mood – Keep it to yourself or, you know, hide away. Get over it and get over yourself. So uh, uh, we all know people that are complainers and whiners, and we all know people that have sunny dispositions. Who do we tend to choose to gravitate towards? Obviously, the happier people or the at least outwardly happier people. And that's, again, a very important thing. I say act happy. Even if you're not feeling it, put a smile on your face. 
I have a personal story in that regard that really stands out for me. My my first career was in showbiz. I was a television producer of uh, what was very popular in those days, television movies. And I was often the senior producer on the set of the movies that I put in development and got made. And I, one of, uh, when I, and I started very young. I was in my early 20s when I was making these movies. And one of the crew members uh, was a, the sound mixer, the guy who took the sound and put the mics on the, the actors. And he was an old veteran, um, old at, in my mind at, at, at the time when I was in my 20s. He was probably in his 40s, but to me he was old at the time. And his name was Alan, and he became, for whatever reason, kind of my good luck charm, and he always seemed to be on every movie that I produced. And one day, he comes up to me, and he was sort of like a father figure. Even though technically he worked for me, I looked up to him because he was a very respected sound mixer. And one day, he comes up to me, he said, Bruce, stop with the frown on your face. I go, what are you talking about? He said, you're always walking around on the set, and you have a frown on your face. And I said, well, that's because I'm worried, and I'm thinking, and I'm, um, you know, I'm thinking about what I have to do next. He says, I don't care. But when the crew sees the head producer walking around with a frown on his face, they think something's wrong, and they get worried. So just fake it. Put a smile on your face, and when you're unhappy about something, go in your trailer, go in the office, and you know, deal with the problem, but don't wear it on your face. What a great piece of advice. So it's, it's like that old saying, fake it till you make it. Uh, if you're unhappy, try to wear a smile. And ironically, you might end up being less unhappy. I think they wrote a song about that, didn't it? It was called, <laughs> Let a Smile Be Your Umbrella. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say that, uh, the, the Bobby, uh, Bobby McFerrin song. Uh, 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 <laughs> Just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm older than that. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. I'm back in the Hey, day. look! Uh, what, that great song that Nat King Cole did, "Smile." Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a beautiful song. So I, I'm a lover of that old pop music. So yeah, we're yeah, on the same page it's, there. It's uh, it's really neat stuff. Uh, hope is essential, but hoping without effort is childish. Hmm. God, I, I, I write some good stuff. I like yes, that. Yes, you do. I do. You, you know, do. it's funny. Some, sometimes I have a weird memory. I, I, it's very selective. So, like, you read that, and I, I don't remember writing that. Uh, but uh, basically, that that quote is about. It's great to hope, but action in the end will make hopes come real. So, uh, or at least give better chance. So don't just sit around moping and hoping. Get off your duff and do. And take a chance. Take a risk. Go for it. Be persistent. Have a passion. Follow up. Uh, I believe very strongly that our young people today are feeling a sense of entitlement that, that has not been present in any previous generation. And given the incredibly poor economy that we're living in and that they're graduating from into the ability to get ahead and get a job is actually for the first time in in many years i think harder for my kids than it was for me uh so they therefore have to be more persistent they can hope to be president of the united states but first you got to run for state legislator and first you got to get you know on the on a board or whatever it is you got to take the steps and that's what that's about well, another one just flashed by here, and I and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. <clears throat> and this is something that I really subscribe to uh, an awful lot, and I and I did when I was raising my daughter, and I know that uh, uh, my daughter and son-in-law do with raising their two daughters, and that is life is not fair. Get used to it. <laughs> that I, that it, it it's my feeling that not only is that true, but it's also the situation where. Uh, not every kid is going to win the trophy and be the best baseball player, soccer player, whatever the case might be. Not everybody has to get a trophy. Well, not only is that true, Pete, but it's destructive to give a kid a trophy for just showing up. It's right. destructive to reward children uh, in this so-called self-esteem movement just because they're there. Uh, it teaches them exactly the opposite of real life. Uh, sports is the greatest analogy of all. There's no, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't a star because you know somebody gave him a, a, a trophy. Uh, he's a star because he earned it. 
Uh, and in real life, in sports, you either deliver or you're cut, period. So right. this idea of not keeping score, of giving trophies to everybody, of not having a literally most improved or the best batting average is destructive to our kids. I'm sorry. It might hurt if you're not given an award, but maybe you'll be motivated to try harder. Or maybe you'll discover you're just not an athlete. Pick up a musical instrument. Do something else. But if we give them self-esteem in everything they do, they're not actually going to learn to discriminate their own skills. Uh, that's that's very very true. And I I remember when I was coaching my daughter in uh, uh, in softball years ago, many years ago already. Uh, there were there were parents that were. Um, Lobbying for the fact that their child needed more playing time. Right, there was, right. There was there was already a rule in the league that everybody had to play for a minimum of, of uh, an inning and a half or two innings and have one time at bat. And, uh, and as a coach, and if you're trying to instill uh, a winning approach to things and doing the best you can with what you have, uh, you're you're going to use that uh, to your best advantage. And and that's just the way it is, uh, and that's part of that. Life's not fair. Uh, get used to it, kind of a situation. But these parents would come and they would just just keep yakking in your ear about my daughter needs to play, my daughter needs to play, my daughter needs to play. And I said, well, your daughter's good enough; she'll play. <laughs> you know, she goes out there in the outfield and she gooses butterflies, uh, and rather than rather than. Uh, uh, bidding a commitment uh, to the team and being a commitment to try to catch that fly ball. Watches it go over her head and then walks to it. So it you know, there's a... Um, like that. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, do you know there's this wonderful uh, song called Right Field by uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary? And it's... Uh, when I played Little League, I was put in the right field. And that basically meant you just sat around or stood around watching the grass grow. Uh, except for that rare occasional ball that might come your way. And I, I think that song so epitomizes uh, real life, uh, not the way that a lot of these sports leagues are run now, especially at the much younger level, uh, where they either don't keep score or they manipulate the score or they cut off the score at a certain point so nobody's feelings are hurt. Well, hello, in real life, your feelings are going to get hurt. The sooner you learn to deal with it, the better off. So protecting our kids from hurt feelings is not a good thing. Protecting them from being hurt, of course, and protecting them from actual physical harm in the form of a bully, yes. But not every time uh, a kid is uh, verbally abusive do they need to be rescued. Let them learn how to defend themselves verbally. And when it gets to be physical, it's a more complicated issue. But you know this this uh, this whole bullying um, mania that you know somebody looks at you wrong and they're bullying you is is a little too much. Uh, let's uh, it, it's reducing the real bullying to uh, irrelevance when it's all lumped together. Well, you're absolutely right with with regard to that because all of a sudden anything and everything turns into bullying. Well, it's and like it, what happened with sexual harassment. After Anita Hill, uh, and we're now old enough to have been adults and present, you and I, um, all of a sudden sexual harassment meant a man looks at a woman uh, sideways. It's sexual harassment. So it's diminished real sexual harassment, which to me is only when a man or a woman's superior demands demand sexual favors from a subordinate in exchange for some something. That's to me sexual harassment. A, a, a guy putting up a, a tool uh, calendar in his own workspace that has girls in bikinis uh, uh, holding uh, tools is not sexual harassment, in my opinion. But at, in certain workplaces, in certain places, that man could be chastised or even fired for just having a pinup of a girl in a bikini in his workplace. Right, exactly, exactly. I want to get back to this uh, this sports thing we were talking about with kids for a minute because it's it's really such a a, a big thing. Uh, certainly in Arizona, I mean, there's leagues going on all over for baseball, football, soccer, uh, tiddlywinks, you you name it. There's something 
some organized sport for kids. <clears throat> and it used to be the case where uh, we as kids would go out and we'd cut the grass in the field and go make our own baseball diamond and go play ball all day long. Uh, nowadays, we don't dare let our kids go out anymore. Uh, simply because of all the issues that are happening, and everybody is so very, very protective of their children. In some cases, needed; other cases, maybe overprotective. Uh, but there's one thing I think that any of these organized leagues uh, uh, play on, and and that is the fact that all the kids have to play. All the kids have to play, which we mentioned. However, I think the thing that you have to do in a situation like that with your children is to point out the fact that they are going to try something and they're, they may be disappointed. Let them know that they may be disappointed. And I think you as a parent has to stick to that. For, and I'll give you the example I'm talking about. When my daughter was playing uh, high, school foot, uh, high school football, baseball, softball, uh, she was trying out for the uh, varsity team as a freshman. Now, she had skills. She has skills. Uh, but the point is, it was still not a foregone conclusion that she was going to make that team. After all, she was just a, a tiny little girl still trying to play with some of these well-seasoned uh, high school athletes. And she wanted to make the team. She wanted to make the team. And I says, here's what you do, baby. You go up to the coach and you say, I want to make the team. I'm an outfielder. And getting back to what you're saying, tell them you're a right fielder. And you're a left-handed right fielder. There's only so many places you can play as a left-hander. It's going to be first base, the outfield, pitch, or possibly catch. I mm-hmm. said you've got to take advantage of that. And you've got good speed. You run like the wind, and you can catch a long fly ball. Go tell them you're an outfielder and then prove it, and you'll make the team. You may not be a starter, but you'll make the team, and that's your first step. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. She made the team. As a and, freshman. As a freshman, yes. Good for her. And, and uh, she had a, a nice, a nice high school career. Uh, she didn't have, never did develop the size to be a serious contender for the scouts because, uh, for college ball, because of course they, they want the big kids, uh, and, and that is a, that is a fact. But uh, uh, I, I think that's what you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to work with your kids. You've got to point out to your kids this is why you should probably do it this way and prepare them. Don't don't stop them from being disappointed, but prepare them for possible disappointment. What do you think? I completely agree. Uh, and uh, again, that's not protecting them uh, right. or going behind their back and you know trying to bribe the coach. Right. Uh, I mean, to get your your kid on the team or to get them more playing time. Again, it's not real life. And the problem is if they get – if you as a parent start doing that, it's a slippery slope, and you're just delaying the inevitable if they haven't earned it legitimately. Giving them a tip like you just described, that's just smart parenting. She still had to earn the, the place, but you gave her a good tip. You didn't cheat on her behalf or manipulate on her behalf. She still had to get her uh, – um, you know, she still had to earn her place on the team. So uh, I completely agree with you, and that's a great example. Well, it, yeah, and I think that's what more, more and more parents need to do, and not uh, not only in sports, but with regard to almost anything. You can apply that to almost anything. Uh, you may not be the best mathematician in the world, and she, and in this particular case, my daughter is not a great mathematician. Uh, we had a making changes in that ballpark when she was working at snack bar. We just didn't believe what was going. On. Believe what was going on, and uh, but nonetheless, she's a phenomenal interior designer. (laughs) 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 And and the math she needs, uh, she can add it on a piece of paper for measurements and so on. Or a calculator. Or a calculator. Things called calculators. Yeah, they do. But I mean, that's I think that's that's part of parenting is is you have to find the strong point for the uh, uh, for the. For the for the child and uh, and and help them work within those. And now my question, after all of that long preamble, is who does it better, men or women? Oh, does, does what better again? 
who does who does the the, uh, uh, the directional portion of of helping kids find their path? Who does it better, men or women? Uh, that one I will take a pass on. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a a, a strong favoritism uh, towards one. It's okay. uh, just being a good parent. Uh, I don't think that's a gender influence thing. Uh, but I want to bring up. I want to go back to your whole sports thing. There's another sure. aspect of this that I think is really important, and you alluded to it when you said your daughter became a great interior decorator. A lot of parents, and I would say this is more the guys than the the gals, a lot of the men want their boy to take after them and be a football player, a tennis player, a whatever it is, basketball star, and myself included. My I I introduced my boys to every sport I could because I was a jock always, and they pretty much rejected everyone. Finally, I got it. And I wrote it. In fact, I wrote a column about this, which is called "They May Have Your DNA, But They're Not You." So, and 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 in many cases, of course, they don't even have your DNA if it's an adopted kid. The point being, just because you love to play baseball, don't make your kid play baseball if he doesn't love it. So I found out over time that my boys just not only didn't have good athletic ability, they didn't like it. So now that my boys are older, I I. I, they are performing in different areas and doing great. One of them is a rock star, at least in his own mind, and may in fact become one. He's attending the Berklee College of Music. I gave him an electric guitar as a graduation present from elementary school, and there was no looking back. It was so clear that that was his passion, music, and he got really good at it. He got accepted to the Berklee College of Music with no grades, no SATs, simply on his audition. And it's a very hard school to get into. My wow. other son also didn't we, – we love to ski, my wife and I, his stepmother. And he loves his stepmother and tried to ski and tried to please her, but it was just clear. He just didn't want to. What he discovered in high school and in middle school is that he really loved drama. He wants to be a musical star. So he's starring as a sophomore in one of the lead roles in the high school production of Les Mis. Uh, so he's performing in a totally different way. Now, I come from showbiz, so I understand uh, that world, even though I never did any acting. Uh, and, but the lesson for me, it took a little while to get there, and I, and I have really harshly put this out to other parents, is let go of making them in your image. Let them be their own image. So if they if they take to your sport, great, you're lucky. But if they don't, let it go, Mom. Let it go, Dad. And again, I think this is more of a dad problem. Uh, and just expose them to as much as you can, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's you know acting, whatever it is, so that they can find their passion. My boys both have passions, and I support them, and I'm so proud of them. And it's just as much fun for me to go to a rock show and see my son, you know, banging the drums and just getting an audience behind him as it would have been to go to a tennis match and see him win tennis, which was my high school sport. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting when uh, when you start talking about uh, having your giving your kids some kind of direction. Uh, many times the parents want the kids, like you say, to do what it is that the parents are interested in, uh, when in reality it's just just not a fit. Uh, I was fortunate in that my daughter enjoyed playing baseball, softball, as did I. I was, was I played softball for a long, long time, baseball prior to that. And she would go to the ballpark, and her older brother would play baseball, and she was known as a little ballpark bum because she was always in the dirt and sliding and whatever else. And she was playing ball when she was two uh, in her own little way. And uh, so so she came to that quite normally and naturally. I play golf. She picked that up. I don't know. Boy, you're did. lucky. You're yeah, lucky. Well, well, I am very lucky. There's no doubt about it. But the fact is, I never, I never pushed her to do it if she didn't want to do it. When it was time for her to step back from it, she has stepped back from it and found her own way. There's only a few things that uh, Deborah, uh, my wife and her stepmom, for lack of a better term, uh, would uh, insist on. Three, three or four basic things. Number one, be a good citizen. 
don't get yourself in trouble. Just stay, keep your nose clean and, and do your job, whatever that turns out to be. Number two, make sure that you're healthy. And if you're going to be involved sexually or whatever the case might be, remember that there are diseases out there that will kill you now. Uh, penicillin is just not going to take care of it. Hmm. And, 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 uh, and then the other, the other one was just, just be honest with people. And, uh, and and take and take care of uh, take care of yourself and help others if if you can and get good grades in school. You don't have to get great grades in school, but get mm-hmm. good grades in school. You know, little thing like don't get pregnant. Not that there's anything wrong with being pregnant when you know people get pregnant all the time, but the fact of the matter is it will change your life if you're if it's not for if it's not when you're ready for it and and if you're not planning for it. Don't don't let your life be changed by uh, a, a stupid, uh, just a, a stupid spur of the moment thing. And, and those little tidbits like that that we gave her, and fortunately, she has lived by those little tidbits, and and uh, I couldn't be prouder of her. Uh, well, good for you. I mean, the, you can uh, uh, yeah, give those. The the fact yeah. that they took is yeah. is is a little bit of good fortune, and of course, yes. of course, the oh, fact that you. It is. I mean, because you can communicate all you want. At a certain age, uh, kids basically tune us out. So the the importance is to teach that while they still hear you. Then when they get to be a teenager and they they disappear to the alien world, um, you just hope that somewhere in that recessive brain that's going through all the changes that the teenage brain goes through, that they hold on to some of the values they were taught when they were younger and make the right decision, even though the frontal lobe is not developed enough for them to know how to make right decisions. But if it's been inculcated in them enough, they may. One of my other quotes is the the only thing the job of the parent of a teenager is to keep him or her alive, yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. so that they can get through it. Right, All right. And that's that's really that's very very true. I mean, there are so many so many options out there that aren't good. <laughs> you just have to steer them away from some of that stuff. Well, and it's hard sometimes. And 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 the other thing that I often say is uh, your your job as a parent is to be your kid's best parent, not their best friend. And too often, contemporary parents just want to be their kid's buddy. And that's not your job. You you could be friends with them maybe later in their adulthood, like I gather you are with your daughter. Absolutely. But there are going to be times when you're not going to be their friend uh, because you're going to tell them they can't do something that they want to do. And if you're afraid to tell them that, you're not being their best parent. And that's what they need. They don't need you to be their friend. They have their friends. They need you to be their best parent. Well, see, that's, that's uh, it's amazing how you, how much you and I are on the absolute same wavelength here. Uh, as an example of that very thing, I would tell my daughter, uh, if you get yourself in a jam, uh, you know, I don't care. Just make sure you have a quarter in your shoe. So at the mm. dating myself here, make sure you have a quarter in your shoe so you can get to a payphone to give me a call. I will come and get you. Uh, if you're sitting on the curb. When I get there, just sit on the curb and don't go with the crowd. If you know it's something in your heart of hearts that you shouldn't do, and you know what those are because we've talked about them enough, then you call me. And if you want to use me as the excuse and say to your friends, my dad will kick my butt if I mm-hmm. do that. I just cannot go. I, he will whoop my ass. You know, if if that's if that's what you have to say, make me the bad guy. That's okay. I said I don't care. That's why I get paid the big bucks. Exactly, exactly. Now I want to go back to something else that you, you sure. said. Uh, you, you know, you you said you wanted to teach your kids, or your your daughter in your case, to be a good person. Uh, and I of course agree with you. But you know it's very interesting. Uh, there's a man who's been a, a, a figurative mentor to me. I, he's a talk show host, uh, mostly on politics, but he talks about life a lot. His name's Dennis Prager, and uh, I'm a, a acquaintance friend of his. Uh, but he does talk about parenting, and he talks about uh, men and women a lot. And I've gotten many of my ideas from him and expanded on his ideas in my own way. But one of the things he used to do for years when he would talk to uh, parents or groups of adults, he'd ask them, uh, what do you want your kids to be, good or happy? And the majority of the parents would say happy. And he would say, no, that's not what you really want them to do. Of course you want them to be happy. 
But you can be happy and be evil. You can be happy and not give back to the world. You can be happy and be a thief. You can be happy and cheat on your taxes. Being good will lead to happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it and he and it really gave me a different point of view. I want my kids to be happy, of course, but more important to me is that they're good people. More important to me is that they have some compassion. More important to me is that they give back to the world, that they do something positive in their lives in addition to whatever they're doing to make money. I mean, not everybody can do something professionally that is constantly giving back to the world, but you can make some time for for giving, for helping another human being. So I think that's the number one goal I want for my boys and the number one goal I encourage others to want for their children. Happiness will actually come by being a good person, Uh, but you can be happy and be a louse. Oh, you can absolutely true, and and I and I and I and I keep everything you say that we've been talking about so far. I've been able, obviously, to relate it to my daughter. Now I have a daughter, one. You have boys, two, uh, and, and I, there's, there's obviously going to be a difference in in how things are are, are put together uh, in a parenting fashion. Uh, I don't know what they are exactly because I've only parented a daughter. Uh, but I do know this, and I and I do know that when my daughter goes and her husband go out and they run a 10K, they're running it for a purpose. For instance, it benefits something or somebody, whether it's breast cancer or whatever the case whatever the case may be. When she goes and she works at the school, it's to benefit the school, so the school has uh, has more funds. And when she's on the board at the school, it's because she's trying to get things. And when she volunteers at the school, it's for the betterment of the little kids and having and giving them something and and teaching them something that uh, uh, is not being taught in class. It's a little extra thing that they do with parents that have interesting sidelines and so on and so forth. And she gives willingly, I mean just absolutely willingly of her time and and still finds time to go work out at the gym and fix great meals for their family and go on vacations and take the girls out one at a time and it's just on and on and on and on. And I just shake my head and goes, wow, she didn't get all that from me. (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe her mama had a little something to do with it too. Well, yeah, she didn't get it all from her mother either. Trust me. I, I mean, well, she found her way to a lot of that. Well, good. Because I mean, that's that's the point we were making earlier. They yeah. aren't us. They are that's individuals. Right. And right. in some cases, they need our guidance more than others. And in some cases, like with my boys, I, okay, as you said, you only raised a girl, so you only have that experience, and I've only raised boys, so I only have that experience. But my boys both come from the same genetic material. They are day and night. They are so different. And one of them is just a little more of a wild man, uh, takes after me a little bit in that regard, and the other one is just a more, much more toe-the-line type of kid. Uh, each has its value. The wild man, my older son, I had some real issues during his middle teen years that were I struggled with. My toe-the-line younger one, uh, I don't have those issues, but sometimes i got to get him to get out of his shell, get him to go for it, get him to be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I mean, he's the one that wants to be a theater star. And, I, and I've said, to, you know, and I'll, I'll go up and talk to anybody. I was in Park City about two months ago, and in the market – uh, there was this really attractive woman, and uh, I just I was with my wife, but I ended up going up to this woman and talking to her. And I said, gosh, you look familiar. And uh, she, uh, she said, well, I've acted a little bit. And I said, oh, really? What's your name? And her name was Katherine Heigl, who, of course, is a well-known actress. <laughs> so I ended up having a great conversation with her. I introduced her to my wife, and I sent – and she took – uh, she let me take a picture, which I sent to my son. And he went, oh, my God, I love Katherine Heigl because you know, she used to be in Grey's Anatomy, and he loved it. And, and then I said to him later, I said, listen, if you were in a position where Katherine Heigl was in the market – and I didn't even know it was Katherine Heigl. I just went up to talk to her because um, I talked to all sorts of people because that's how I learn, and it, and it fuels uh, ideas for writing, and, I, and then I make relationships. I said, if you were in the market like me and you saw her, would you go up to her? And say hello and tell her how much you love her and respect her. And he said, oh, God, no. I said, well, you want to be 
a, a musical theater star. Your favorite musical is Les Mis. If you were in New York, which is he wants to go to NYU, and he probably will get in. Um, if you were in New York and they were doing a revival of Les Mis, and you were at a coffee shop, and across the way you saw the casting director for Les Mis, would you go up and say, hello, and tell him you want, would like to audition? And my son said, oh, God, I couldn't do that. I said, well, what if you did do it? And what if he said, get lost, kid? I got... I get hit on by struggling actors all the time. Get lost. And then you ran into him again. Would you do it again? And my son said, oh, God, of course not. I said, no, what if you did? And what if you did it a third time and a fourth time? Let me tell you what would happen. The fifth time that he told you to get lost, afterwards he'd say, you know, wait a minute, kid. You're really a persistent one. Why don't you come in and let's see what you got? And my son just looked at me like in horror. I could never do that. And I said, but that's what you have to do, especially if that's the profession you want to be in. And that's how I got my showbiz career going. I just just didn't take it personally as much as I could and just went at it and at it and at it. Uh, in certain fields, that's what you got to do. And I think in today's economy and today's economic and work world, you just got to be more persistent you got to be willing to take that risk and that's what also i want to teach my kids how much tougher is it in your opinion and with all the people you've spoken to and, and you continue to talk to on your on your uh, uh, dad chat how much tougher are you finding it to raise kids today than it was when you and i raised them well i think it's uh significantly tougher uh for a lot of reasons uh, and I don't – it's not that I want to be a Pollyanna about uh, my youth or what my parents went through. But the difference – the really, there are a lot of major points that are, are significantly different today. The primary one, I would say, is our public institutions. When my parents were raising me, which was in the 50s and 60s, they did not really have to worry about what I'd see on TV, what I'd watch in the movie theaters – uh, what I would be taught at school, and God was still allowed to be in the school, okay? Uh, we did the Pledge of Allegiance. They didn't have to worry that our values in any way were going to be conscripted or uh, denied in the public sphere. When the Beatles first came out and they were on Ed Sullivan in 1963 or four, whenever it was, that was scandalous at the time. Yes, now you was. look at that back now, and you kind of you, you joke uh, that are you kidding? That was considered long hair. The original Beatles when they first began. Um, right. Nowadays, our kids are literally assaulted on every front as far as values, anti-religion, anti-America, overt sexuality. That if you're not careful, they can access from any of their devices. So, and then there's the parents that don't want to learn social media and don't take the time to monitor what their kid is doing on their smartphone or computer or tablet. And then you're just avoiding a gigantic potential risk factor to your child. So, yes, it's much harder. And then you have another factor. This one blows my mind. Let me ask you, Pete, what percentage of college grads do you believe come back home to live for a sustained period of time? Oh, I'm going to say 35, 40%. Okay, it's over 85%. Wow, I never now, realized Now, when that. you graduated college, did you know anybody that came back home for anything other than a visit? No. So 85% of the kids are living at home after college graduation for a sustained period of time. Now, what's even worse there are young men, two to one, in their late middle 20s and 30s that are also living at home. In our society's history, there were that, the only time an adult child would live at home, it would be a young woman who wasn't getting married. You know, they right. used to call her a spinster right. okay, back in the days when marriage was a good thing and a desired thing. Uh, now we have these young men that live at home. Mom and dad still do their laundry, and maybe they work, maybe they don't, and they play video games all day long. It's a phenomenon that is horrible for, for, the, for the kids, 
for the other young girls that therefore have a dwindling pool of good men to hook up with. I mean hook up in the old way of just meeting. Um, so we, as parents, were the boomer generation is very destructive, I think, in how things have changed in the in the public sphere and how it's t- changed in our homes and the enabling that we've done of our children is hurting them horribly, in my opinion. Well, now we're getting into a subject that uh, <clears throat> that I really get somewhat exercised about from time to time, and that is the, the way that the boomer generation has squandered their opportunity. Now, I'm dead smack in the, not in the middle. I'm the leading edge baby boomer, basically. I'm in the middle. And 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 I and I look at these boomers that are in business and in politics and in positions of power and authority and how they have absolutely bastardized things. And these were the people, and we were the we were the uh, generation that was all about fairness and peace mm-hmm. and love and uh, draft beer, not students, and you know, uh, and all that kind of stuff, and. What the heck have we done? Well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you, you forgot one very large segment of the boomer population, and that's those that have gone into academia. Uh-huh. They have destroyed colleges. Uh, yeah, and the idea of actual a liberal education now means liberal left-wing politics. The idea of actual um, uh, constructive discussion and dialogue and debate does not exist. You are forced, in the majority of cases, not all, there are certainly religious colleges and a handful of colleges where there is real, honest, uh, open discourse. But the major liberal universities across the board, you know, from Stanford to UC Berkeley to Harvard, the list goes on and on, have a very left-wing agenda, and open dialogue is not allowed. So, in my opinion, there's only one good thing that came out of the 60s, music. We had some great music. Yeah. Other than that, I think we have been a disaster as far as values and politics and a disaster as far as our kids. So, uh, as a Jew, for instance, uh, I'm a Jew, uh, on college campuses, you know, anybody that speaks in favor of Israel is usually shouted down. If you're in favor of the Palestinians, you get a forum. And this goes across the board uh, uh, on the political left. Colleges are just unfortunately no longer uh, no longer liberal arts. It's really a propaganda machine, and it's devastating to our country. Our president represents exactly that point of view, and we see the damage he's doing. Uh, I don't want to get into politics, but uh, you know he makes me nuts with what he's doing. Uh, and the the lingering damage that uh, that may come if we don't turn this around is going to be devastating to our children. I mean, if I were not a parent, I probably wouldn't care. But because I worry about what my boys' futures are going to be, these issues really concern me. Well, uh, it goes it goes one step further than that with with me, and that is my my daughter and son-in-law are. are doing very well and and hopefully will continue to do so unless they're beset by some terrible tragedies uh i i would anticipate that they would continue on and and, and do very well and and on into life and and whatever it is that they want they pre- they pretty much have it at their at their disposal because <clears throat> because of the way they plan the way they operate the way they work uh my concern certainly is for them and their health and their continued success but my seven-year-old daughter, granddaughter, and my four-year-old granddaughter, those are the ones that I worry about. Exactly. You're, you're, it sounds like your daughter just missed the – the uh, was ahead of the damage that's been going on now. So that when she got out of college, she was able to, between her own you know, assertiveness and, and good good values, to get a job and choose a husband. In fact, get married. Hello? Yes. Yeah. Marriage is being demeaned left and right. Your daughter chose to get married, and from what I'm intuiting, she married a good man. And they had children, and they had more than one. Right. Do you know how many couples are choosing either not to have children or to only have one? Do you know what's going Amazing. on in Europe? Is Basically, Europe will be a Muslim continent. 
because the Europeans, the native Europeans, are not reproducing enough to even stay equal. The immigrants, which are largely Muslim uh, immigrants, and I'm not denigrating the Muslims, they have large families. So the politics in Europe is changing because of the demographics. To some degree, it's, this is the same across all of the Western society. You, I, I have friends, young friends that I know. They have maybe one kid. Or I was on a ski lift the other day with a young guy married, um, about 30, and he said he and his wife don't want to have kids. They want to have fun. They want to travel. They don't want to be burdened by having even one kid. That's a change of attitude that your daughter thankfully missed, but that is really prevalent and encouraged, uh, again, at our colleges. You know, well, do what you I, want. You don't have to have kids. Yeah, exactly. you, know? you don't have to get married. Marry your cousin if you want. Uh, marry you know, two people if you want. I mean, it's love. We have, love is love. I mean, that's what's going on. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I am I am so fortunate with regard to uh, her uh, her circumstance. It's just unbelievable. I mean, she did. She married a a, a fine young man and a, a college graduate. Law. He's an attorney here. He's with a very large law firm here in town. Uh, he graduated from uh, a Big Ten school, law school. And uh, uh, amongst the top in his class, and has just a, a great career. And she and they have decided that uh, after she was uh, working for a while to help get the family established and get it started, uh, that they were going to have babies. And now they're going to raise a family. And she's a stay-at-home mom and doing all the things that a traditional stay-at-home mom always did, uh, with the exception of the subservience to her husband. She is right, not right. subservient to her husband in any way, shape, or form. She says sometimes, well, we're going to have a, 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 a Sunday go-to-meeting uh, <laughs> conversation here. <laughs> I come to, as she says, sometimes I come to Jesus <laughs> because we got we got, we have to be discussing some things. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you know, it's interesting. But, but it's, all out, it's all out in the open, and and. and, and and she says, uh, as she says in her uh, in her Facebook posts, or whatever that she is living the life of her dreams. And uh, how nice, how nice for you, and how nice for her. Oh, but you know, they wonderful. also made a choice. Yes, they made they a did. choice that a lot of young couples are not making. They um, did make that choice. You're no, no. The right. choice being, she chose to give up work to be at home with her babies. Yes. Now that choice means for most couples, they might not get a new car every three years. They might not go on that fancy vacation. It means a little bit of, God forbid, sacrifice right. for the greater good of their children. There are so many young couples that don't want to give up the new BMW. So they both work, not really because they have to. Of course, there are many couples where they do, Okay, that making a living, they need the double income. But there are probably an equal number or certainly a lot of couples that just make that choice that your daughter didn't make. So your hus her husband makes a good living, but they'd have more things if she was working too. Um, well, that was a very, I think, mature choice, an old-fashioned choice, and a politically incorrect choice. Well, I, you know, it's amazing that you, that you say that, and, uh, and, and, I, and I look at it, and I, I've looked at it, myself and then i look at what they have accomplished and what they do have as far as things are concerned and i say wow uh, i wish i had those things i wish i had those capabilities to do and 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 get what i wanted to when i want they are they are strict budgeters they know exactly wherever penny goes uh, they plan, uh, but they're not. Uh, they're they're not always. Uh, they're certainly not stingy. I mean, they just are not. I mean, they're 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 very very uh, willing to spend what they have, but yet uh, they're putting money aside for their kids' college education if that's what they choose to do, and uh, and, and it just and it just uh, it just amazes me. I wish that I had made the choices 
that they made when I was younger, quite frankly. Well, it sounds like you did a you had a little bit of influence in why they made these choices as uh, being a good dad and your wife and their mom uh, is their their parents as well, including your son-in-law's parents. Yeah, that didn't yeah. happen just by accident. There was a, there was probably a good upbringing that contributed to what uh, what they've chosen to do. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, I want to make you I'm looking at the the clock on the wall here. We're getting down to the short rows as they say in the farm country. Uh, I, I need to know more information about all of your books. Now, you've published three books, right? Two, two. Two books. Uh, and why don't you tell our listeners about your books and, uh, you know, what kind of the, the topics are generally and uh, how we can get hold of them? Well, the two books are uh, – I did a uh, – they're both self-published. The first one's called A Dad's Point of View, We Are Half the Equation, and you can find it on my website, which is com or any of the mainstream places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever. It's available in uh, paperback and all, all e-reader forms. And it's really just a compilation of the best of my first hundred uh, Dad's Point of View columns, grouped by categories – uh, re-edited and uh, additional comments, and then uh, a number of lessons that, to take away is the last chapter. Uh, that's my first book. My second book is called, uh, gosh, I'm just blanking, oh, The Empty Nest Road Trip Blues, An Interactive Journal from a Dad's Point of View. And it's an ebook only, and it's about my journey driving my son, or driving with my son, because we shared the driving duties, uh, from Los Angeles to Boston to begin his college career. And Ford gave me a Ford Flex for the drive, and I got, did some social media in exchange for that. And I ended up keeping a diary, in addition to taking a lot of photos and a lot of video. And when I was done, I went, wait a minute, there's a book here. It's the, it's the, the journey cross country, so it's the travel portion. It's the emotional journey of both me and my son in dealing with the empty nest. And there's all this great video. So I can do a true interactive book. So this book is online only. It's, you can get it as a Kindle or any of the different things, again, at Amazon, or you can get a PDF version at my website. Um, and what's so cool about this book is there's seven original videos that are exclusive to this book of various places we went to. And then the various places we went to, there are links. So we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so there's a link directly to that amazing museum. We went to in Cooperstown, New York, to the New York, I mean, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Again, a link. Niagara Falls, a link. All the cool places that we went to, there are links. There are 100 photos, seven videos, and it's very expensive. It's $2.79 for the PDF and another $0.20 or $2.99 for the Kindle. Uh, and it's really fun. Uh, so those are my two books. My third book is going to be about men versus women. It's going to be inspired by the Men versus Women blog series. And I haven't made a deal yet. I'm, I actually want to get a publisher aboard on that one. Um, but before we go, I just want to invite everybody to come to Dad Chat, which is my um, parent community that is basically a 24-7 community. You use the hashtag DadChat. That's the pound sign followed by DadChat to find the tweets. It's a 24-7 community, but we officially get together every Thursday night at 6 o'clock Pacific time or 9 o'clock East Coast time for one hour. And there's moms and dads from all over the world. And the irony of us talking today is this Thursday's Dad Chat is about teaching our kids to do the right thing. Uh, and there's a book that's just come out by a, an author by the name of Annie Fox, and she is giving away copies of the book during the chat, and we'll be talking about teaching our kids how to do the right thing. Often when they're faced with con you know, contravening pressures from peers or society, just like what you were talking about earlier you know, with your daughter, choosing the right thing. And it's, it's hard for our kids today. That's one of the reasons that parenting is more difficult. I think there are more pressures on our kids than there were when, when we were younger. Well, I, I, I think so, too. I mean, it, when, when you and I were growing up, it's a question of whether or not we were going to uh, ride our bike over the hills and try to jump dirt mounds, not whether or not we were going to ride our bike with a helmet. I know you've seen these things, but they're, they're, they're out there everywhere. They come in the emails uh, about we didn't do this, we didn't do that, we didn't do this, we didn't right, do that, right, right. all this whole list of things, and we all survived. And now, and I know that you have a, some 
discussion somewhere on helicoptering, uh, helicopter parents, and uh, that would be worthy of another show in and of itself almost. Uh, and I'm sorry we didn't get to that today also, Bruce, but uh, I've certainly I certainly enjoyed this discussion with you. It's uh, been pretty freewheeling and a lot of fun. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, I want to make sure that everybody uh, can get hold of anything that it is that uh, that you have, and that's at brucesalon.com, and everything's there, correct? Everything's there, all the links, and that's S-A-L-L-A-N, and I really appreciate you pronouncing my name correctly. It's like Alan with an S, and you got it from the start. Uh, and I do do a lot of new and old media. I have my own radio show, books, blogs. Uh, I do a lot of video, and uh, and Dad Chat is really fun for any parent. Uh, and we even have aunts and uncles that come just because they enjoy the discussion. And I love your quotes. <laughs> well, thank so, you. You're welcome it, to uh, to use them as long as you give me some attribution. Hey, not a problem. Be glad to do that. Thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. My pleasure, Pete. Uh, that was Mr. Bruce Salon that we have as a guest today, and Mr. Salon is the author and radio show host and uh, host of Dad Chat uh, on uh, on the Twitter machine, I guess it was uh, could be called. And we invite you, and he invites you to come along and make sure that you participate, and certainly go to brucesalon.com and see everything that's on that site. It's a great site. Uh, that's all we have for today, and we hope you can join us again. Tomorrow we'll be on with Success or Failure, The Choice is Yours. That will be hosted by Tom Leggering and Terry Munther. Thursday is Straight Down the Middle, the golf show uh, that we do for the Arizona golfers, and we hope you can join us for that if you're interested in knowing more about what's going on with golf in Arizona. Uh, you can also go to straightdownthemiddleshow.com is our new website. Uh, take a peek at that as well. So with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Have a great day and we will talk to you again real soon. Take care now. You've been listening to the Boom and Debate Show where we bring interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs>